Hello and welcome to On the Corner, the official podcast of PitcherList.com. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, joined, as always, by the man himself on this just auspicious of nights. It's Nick Pollock. What is happening? Uh, not much. I just uh, you you like made a face at me because I stumbled the intro, but like some random number keeps trying to FaceTime me, and I keep hitting reject, <laughs> and they keep intent like repeatedly trying to FaceTime me. It's real weird. I don't oh know what's gosh. going on. Yeah, you should probably block that number. Uh, I should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like everyone's gonna block me after they see my top three hundred and fifty rankings. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it will be out. I think it's a lot of it's a lot of pictures. Yeah. It, it, it was 300 and uh, I want to really uh, uh, make everyone aware here. These, uh, these ranks are what I've been doing for those rotation breakdowns. It's why those are behind uh, the PL pro paywall, because I normally don't share that. And I was like, you know what? This is a bonus article because this isn't me like putting something out regularly and then just not doing it. These are just the blurbs that go into the top 300. So What's taking so much time for me is that there are slight changes I'm making since I started writing them in like November for certain guys. And it's kind of frustrating where like I want I keep going back and forth on a certain guy and eventually I'm just saying absolutely not. And it's really funny. I think Mitch Keller was one of those for me that was like, oh, I'm too low on him. No, I'm too high on him. No, I'm too low on him. No, I'm too high on him. Now I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want Mitch Keller because he has a 60% ICR on his four seamer. And it's just like it's a dead zone four seamer. And it's just I can't do that. But this top 20. I'm not even kidding you, Eric. It is nine o'clock and I I am doing that last ironing out of everything to make sure that I feel great about this as everyone who's done the list uh, watched on the stream knows. I've changed like a few things here and there and I finally feel like I have a good structure for what my top 20 is. And yeah, you guys probably already guessed some of the things right. You might guess some of them wrong. I've been back and forth on a lot of it, but yeah, I'm excited. We're going to do it today. We're going to go right through it. Um, Yeah, I just want to say before we jump in, like we did my top 100 the last time talking to you and just talking through that stuff, I thought was an invaluable um, exercise because it just enables you to like crystallize the things that you you think even like when you're saying the words out loud, you're like, I don't know that I actually buy buy that as much as I thought Um, or just hearing somebody kind of have another opinion. Um, either makes you go, yeah, you know what, I, Nick's wrong. Like I'm, I'm even, I'm even, <laughs> like I'm backing you know, this even more. Or you're like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that part of it. Um, yeah. What, what Eno said is, I had to do blurbs for his on the Athletic. Uh, like he finally added blurbs this year, and he said something that I cannot agree more with, which is, you'd make better analysis when you have to write things. Yeah. And it's the same way about explaining it with someone else too. You, know, you don't really know something until you can teach it. And that means you really understand it at its core and you believe that, right? So I, uh, you know, writing these out again and being like, okay, what were the words I said uh, mm-hmm. I wrote out? And I, I'm saying to you now, mm, maybe not. <laughs> you can actually feel the interior yeah. uh, pain and conflict. You mean Eno from your other podcast? I know. Your other number one baseball <laughs> podcast? <laughs> I don't believe that. I, I'm still trying to understand how. Uh, because there's it's no cool. way I'm on, the, I'm on the corner with Nick. Oh, Nick left me and now is the number one. I'm podcast not leaving you. Are you kidding okay. me? Uh, no, that's actually also we are doing uh, like a touch of fantasy now on that one, but really that's just a baseball podcast. That is not but really supposed to be that. 
But and, I will uh, say yeah. for people who are interested, if you haven't heard it yet, it's it is a baseball podcast, but it's also super useful. And if you really dig listening to people talk about pitchers who know pitchers, um, you can listen to this podcast, obviously. Um, and then you can also <laughs> listen to that one as well. Um, I'm in the middle of the first episode right now. I dig it. Um, I love this. I laughed out loud the second Eno was like, Kyle Harrison. I was like, oh, I know Nick. I know what Nick's gonna say. About this. <laughs> oh man, Eric, look at look at us, huh? Like great. I remember when you first came on and everything, and we're like figuring each other out. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. we know, we know what we what we like and we don't like. Now this is yeah. so fun. Yeah, we got them. Um, so we got four. We got the top twenty guys. We got some tiers for today. We are gonna break things down. We are gonna make nickname the tiers. We're gonna do all yes. of the good things. Um, so. Uh, the big news, obviously, recently was the the trade of Corbin Burns uh, yes. to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he now has to uproot and move from Milwaukee to Baltimore. Uh, so, what I would like you to do is your tiers are going to be named after cities that you might move to if you had to leave New York. Oh, that's um, a, like it's just and I, that's just I one tier of no. Okay, I understand. Well, that's what I'm saying. I understand the obvious answer is I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> but. We all we've all had that like one you know that one afternoon where it's like nineteen and the wind is howling through the buildings and you're like yeah but where yeah. but where would I? Um, oh, so that's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna jump right in here. Um, the tier number one is the top four guys for Nick. It is number one Spencer Strider, number two Garrett Cole, number three Corbin Burns, number four Zach Wheeler. Uh, what city is this tier and why? I don't know, man. They all suck. Um, <laughs> the cities or the pitchers? <laughs> the cities. Because this okay. is the top four. So if they all um, suck, where is this? I've always podcast. felt like, I mean, uh, man, this stinks. I, I'm, I, okay, look, guys, you have to understand. I'm born and raised in New York. You don't want to hear this right now. You're trying to get all the top 20 pitchers. I'm going to waste so much time on this. I want to say Boston, but I can't say Boston because I don't really like Boston. Uh, but it's just, just not big enough. It's not a big enough thing. Uh, San Francisco is pretty cool. Um, I always felt like if I were to go somewhere, maybe San Francisco is nicer out. You know, that's cool. LA, it, it's nice, but dang, I hate how like spread out and ridiculous. I can't do it. Austin, honestly, it might be Austin. Austin's pretty okay. cool. Let's go. Let's, let's go, go with Austin. Austin. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, we're not going to talk about a Houston pitcher though. I went from not. Texas here. Um, yeah, Spencer Strider, obviously, at least I think with the strikeout stuff, you'll see inside of the, the blur rubber for Cole. And if you listen to the craft, like I'm kind of scared about Cole, which is so weird. And the thing is, I don't even love, like, I have reasons to be concerned about every single pitcher. And I hate that feeling, you know, like Spencer Strider still gets hit pretty hard on his fastball. And I don't know, maybe it's just me being stupid in, in internal gut, but like, I feel like he's going to get hurt. And I feel like Garrett Cole's health is better, but it's also just Garrett Cole, your slider just got way worse last year. You lost IVB and worse uh, adjusted VAA um, last year too, which is just not good. And your four seamer didn't exceed a 13% swing strike rate against lefties or righties. Like that's not supposed to happen. So that's weird. Are, are you not? So obviously these are the top two guys. I don't think yeah. anybody has an argument beyond that. For me, I went with Cole because I value the depth of the arsenal a little bit more than yeah. with Strider. I feel like the foundation is a little safer. Um, I appreciated the cutter and its ability to limit um, some of the home run issues that he had right. had in the past. Even Well, if that was so like far down, though. A great That's the thing pitch. that scared me. It's like it's now a .8 homer per nine. 
And do I really believe that Garrett Cole is going to be that? Probably not. But yeah. but it'll be better, I guess. Uh, you you know, but but isn't Strider still probably going to be like a three six ERA? Guy? I don't know. If that's necessarily true, right? I mean, it was three eight six last year. It's not going to be a three eight six. We know this. No. But what about all the? I mean, listen. We talked all about the ICR. Like, if he only really Absolutely. has two pitches, then when it gets hit, it's going to get hit harder. Maybe than the best part normal. about the ICR, though, like I'm looking at forty one percent, and if you have a thirty seven percent K rate, you know oh, that. Sure. That does eat into you know Alexander Chase's uh, hard contact that we proficiently show on the site. Um, he was pretty much saying, look, by the percentage of it, of play appearances that result in just hard contact, it's nineteen percent. That's third best in the majors. Mm-hmm. Um, ICR is something that does scare me as far as all right, you are more susceptible to the long ball and that damage than I would like you to be. So y'all don't think that Spencer Strider is gonna be a sub three, but no, he should be low threes. Like mm-hmm. low threes, a good whip because of all those strikeouts and a low walk rate, like. It's it's fine. He still has seven hit per nine. So all right. Uh so he's number one. Pitching for Atlanta is great too. Okay. Um Cole, a little worrisome, but yeah, the health track record. He's still, you know, maybe the cutter is good, maybe the cutter is bad. Maybe you know, Ina was suggesting that messed up the four seam. That's what Fast used to talk about with the Yankee pitchers was that their four seamers are getting worse because they're doing the cutter um and going too much on the side of the ball. Um uh, but then there's Corbin Burns, right? Uh I originally had him at four. I think we did when we talked about this. Mm-hmm. We convinced yeah, each yeah. other. To do yep. Corbin Burns at four, yeah, and I just think moving to Baltimore just helps too much. Um, it's uh, it's a better park to pitch in. Uh, I know you're not getting the NL Central, even though it's a balanced schedule, still benefits you to being in the NL Central still over the AL East. Uh, I do like to think that Adley Rutschman and the, the whole environment of the Orioles—it's a winning, more winning ball club than the Brewers. It's also a very competitive team in a contract year, and just feels like Burns is just going to go ham, you know. Like I can even see an argument of like this being the SP one, but it's it's also the fact that Burns has elements that he can fix from last year. Um, I outlined it all inside of the uh, inside of the article, but his strike rate on his uh, curveball should be better. His locations can be just tweaked a little bit. Um, there's just a lot of little elements that I think on every single pitch Burns could be better than when he was last year, and he still had a three thirty nine ERA with a one oh seven whip, right? Um, PLV has notoriously for two straight years and our player projections been down on Burns. If I, as I've said before, we put the thumb on the scale and said, okay, Burns cannot be projected at a 24 and change strikeout rate. All right. We need to fix our projections. That's what we said last year. And what do you know? He had a 25.5. And, uh, so this year PLV projections has, I think Corbin at like 16th starter. Uh, now keep in mind that is coming out tomorrow. That's our V2 of our PLV projections uh, for all players, which is awesome. It uses pitch um, pitch modeling to infuse with this traditional methods of uh, projections. We love it. So check out PL Pro and you'll get that with the auction draft calculator when PLX launches. Actually, it's today. When you're listening to this, it's today. It just happened. It's PLX day. What up? I'll never say that again. Okay. Um, Corden Burns, no, he's my number no. three now. And it's a good situation. And I just feel like he's going to soar there. You know, they got their new orange Burns. <laughs> Their new orange burns. Yeah, um, yeah I, I I love all that. I think obviously everybody makes a big deal out of the big the new the new slider in the second half as well. I think yeah. that's huge that's for him. Um, and I, I fully I'm fully on board. And then I think we both agree that like Wheeler is just kind of like a nice little steady, Mister Consistent. I guess I'd ask why you didn't have Cole and Strider in their own tier. Do you feel like? that Burns and Wheeler are legitimately close to them or you just didn't want to do two tiers of two? I feel that 
Um, well, I mean, I'm, I just said that Burns has an argument. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I guess I, I didn't know if you truly Wheeler versus Cole is like pretty similar, honestly. I uh, 27 K rate, 192 innings last year. I mean, sure, there's a little expected uh, strikeout take up for Cole, but I mean, three six one ERA. I think should come down for Wheeler. 108 whip, like tons of wins. Wheeler's just been so consistent. And looking at this with my number five and going on, all of the other ones have more question marks. And I feel like these mm-hmm. are the four that are you are most confident in uh, for 2024. Agreed, for sure. Um, I split it into two tiers in the top, but I fully agree with you on, on these top four. Um, so we're going to move into another tier that might be more interesting in terms of some um, arguments, disagreements, movers, and shakers. Um, <laughs> This tier is uh, Pablo Lopez, number five, Luis Castillo, number six, George Kirby, number seven, Kevin Gossman, number eight, Zach Gowan, number nine, Logan Webb, number 10, and Aaron Noah, number 11. Uh, What city, state, country is this tier? Did you, okay, do you know about Alex Fast saying movers and shakers? No. You didn't. Oh man, no. I think like every single cast, I think Fast would say movers and shakers, and it always just cracks me up. No, I like, like it. it's just something Let's about the movers and shakers. You know the way he yeah. would do it and lean into it. Just as I know about his, his his cha 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 video. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so actually, even today, Fangraphs had an article something some teams movers and shakers, yeah. and all I had to do was send him the screenshot. <laughs> I didn't even say a caption or anything like that, and he just starts yeah. cackling away. Uh, <laughs> The movers and shakers. Yeah. I mean, the big one here, uh, I, I'm just going to say San Francisco just because I was okay. saying like that would another city. Cool. Uh, <laughs> it's nice. You know, it's over expensive, unfortunately. And that's why I'm not going to get these guys on my teams. Hey, um, uh, maybe not Pablo Lopez, though. Uh, that's true. Been, he is going. He's going later. He's going later than the others. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised that I came around on Logan Webb. And uh, that was going to be my question. And that's the thing is, look, I go back and forth about what my strategy should be inside of drafts. Okay, I don't want to go for something kind of more boring. Should I be chasing after a guy, et cetera, et cetera. And this year in particular, I feel there are very few that you can really rely on for 190 plus of just production. And you just put them in and it's good. And it's not just Mm -hmm. like a Toby. It's just, no, this is actually pulling you in the right direction. And Logan Webb just does that. Uh, I wasn't a believer at first of him being a more sinker changeup, but I mean, uh, he did it and like, it's rare, it's unique. And a lot of times you see unique and weird and it's just, okay, that can't happen. No, when you have a changeup, you can throw over 50% of the time, actually in some games over 60 in a single game, like 60 changeups in one game. Mm-hmm. And it's super effective uh, and you're so good at locating it down. That means that the sinker that had a 30% called strike rate, it might actually hold because you mirror it so well with that changeup. They just don't know if this is going to go under the zone or stay in the zone, and it's harder. Uh, and it's just, oh, cool, that's great. And he did this last year effectively without the slider working. Right. And I am going to take a leap and say, you know what? I think Logan Webb's going to have a better slider this year just because I can see that he's tinkering with it. I can see that he's messing around with it. He's going to go so deep into games. He's going to have higher win chance because of it. I wish the Giants were a better offense, but it's still sure. Oracle Park. And I just think that when looking at the other names we're going to talk about inside this top 20, um, I mean, I have other guys who I expect to go every five days and to go six innings, right? It's pretty much just what I say. Are you going to go every five days? Yes. Are you going to go 
Do I expect you for six innings every time? Yes. Okay. That's Zach Allen and Gosman and Kirby and Castillo and Lopez. Sure. And do they have higher strikeout rates? Yes. Okay. There you go. Um, so that's why they're there. And Nola's underneath him at the end of this one, because this is like, really, I just, I put the line at who do I think at 180 to 200 plus guys with good ratios and going to flirt with 200 strikeouts and not more like those are the guys. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that anyone else here am I saying yes for all of those boxes. Um, Aaron, you might have some pushback, but Logan Webb is just safer. And that's, Hey man, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not going to be harmed having Logan Webb on your team. So yeah, I moved, I moved him up to 12th for me after we went through my top 100 for Mm -hmm. much the same reasons. Um, you know, I do, we've talked about this enough that like, I do have some concerns, not particularly with, with Webb because I think he's, he's good, but like moving guys up just for volume. If they, you know, if you're, you're assuming a certain level of health, right? So you're assuming, oh, I'm going to get 180 out of so and so. Yeah. No. And if you don't, if you don't get that, and their production is tied so much to innings, yeah. then they become a far less valuable pitcher. And we talked about the risk in general of those guys. So Absolutely. there is a point where I say, okay, I know, like, and I think Aaron Nola kind of is that for me. Um, mm-hmm. I have him lower where I'm just like, okay, I, I think the innings are going to be there, but I don't know that they're going to be as good of innings as some of the guys who I put above him. And so, like, if he only gives me 160, for whatever reason, injury or, you know, something, mm-hmm. I mean, it would be, it would be injury, but he'd just be far less valuable than 140 from, you know, your one boy, of the guys Tyler, who, one of the guys who we'll talk about later. Glass now is one of them, but I also like, you know, uh, yeah, there's, we will talk about later. Yes. And another guy who I guess I won't even bring up because I just peaked and we're not even going to talk about him on this podcast, which is wild to me. Actually two guys. I know two. Yeah, um, I, I wrestled with this a lot, and uh, we're going to talk about that um, in the in the next one. Um, yeah. By the way, oh, we should say this. Hey, hey, guys, it is February, and we have 350 pitchers to get through. How are we <laughs> possibly going to do this by opening? Dang it! Well, if I can say a French sentence, opening day, Eric and I are going to be doing two of these a week, uh, which is great. We're trying to get through this in an hour, not two hours. So that two hour <laughs> podcast you heard last time. Nope, we're done with that. We're just splitting it in half. <laughs> yeah, we're going through it. It's yeah. gonna be great. Yeah. Um Sorry. and and you've heard us talk about a lot of these guys already. So, you know, there you go. Um check the, the other podcasts. Um obviously, you know, Nick has a bunch of his blurbs and all of my top one hundred that have these blurbs too. Um, but I'm excited about this next tier. So we'll get to tier number three, uh, which starts with pitcher number twelve, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, uh his teammate, number thirteen, Bobby Miller. Uh number fourteen. After this break. Who is number 14, Eric? You, I love that you, everybody knows because you intentionally put the suspense here rather than <laughs> after the full tier, which is what I was going to do. Because number 14 is Cole Reagans. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. Um, Nick wanted an <laughs> intro for him. Uh, number 15, Grayson Rodriguez. And number 16, Tyler Glass now. Uh, it's going to be hard for you to get a tier for this city because it requires a city that makes you giddy, which doesn't exist apparently other than <laughs> New York. <laughs> um, all right. Let's say Philadelphia. It's always crazy. Uh, it's always a wild time, you know, yeah. and you don't know if you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And that, 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 that lands for this tier. Um, so let me just let me just ask. He's the biggest name on this 
tier. Mm-hmm. Yamamoto, where do you where did you come down on ranking him? Because it's yeah. the biggest question, right? Of like we we've yet to see him. We don't have the track record of watching him pitch like some of these other guys. We know we understand what we've been told and what we've seen from the World Baseball Classic is the upside. Um, but you're trying to temper that with like new league, new country, new whatever. So was this like a, at some point I just have to place him in this tier because he belongs with this group, or did you have a pretty firm understanding of where you wanted him to be? So this is this is something how I operate with the lists um, and doing rankings for. Oh my gosh, this is going to be my eleventh season. This is dumb. Um, how do we get so old? Is I really do like grouping guys. I think uh, I think we can get very very um, uh, tied up in one versus one. And instead, if we just say, cool, this kind of player, this kind of player, and they just get a general sense of them uh, and put them together, I can put uh, Yamamoto at 12. And if there's someone that you like more in the next tier, that makes sense because it's just a different framework, right? So, and that's why I have tiers. And it's weird to even say tiers at times. Sometimes it's just groupings and not really like, I like all of this more than that one. Um, But with Yamamoto, I pretty much sat down and said, yeah, I don't really expect more than 150. I actually am thinking about this a lot of a prospect coming up for a rookie season because he's young and it's a 10-year deal. The Dodgers don't want to push him and they also recognize that he doesn't have the same workload. Actually, I'm going to say that Bobby Miller is going to get more innings than Yamamoto this year. That's what I think is going to happen because Bobby Miller actually threw about 120, actually maybe more than that last year. And he would be on that track for like 160, 170 normally. Uh, and you're going to see a six-man rotation be really tough to hold on to for the Dodgers. Uh, they're going to try as hard as they can to do it. They have actually a lot of prospects for it, but I feel like if there's a guy they're going to be like, okay, you know what? We're going to let you go in this five-man run once. It could be mm-hmm. Bobby Miller because you have Glasnow, who we don't expect to last. We have Yamamoto, who's not used to the every five days, who's also young. Actually, I don't know who's older, Bobby Miller or Yamamoto. I should know that. Um, I would think it's Yamamoto, but maybe not. Uh, you have... Walker Bueller, who are they already limiting? We have Paxton in there, Emmett Sheehan, right? Like, this is not a uh, well-seasoned workhorse rotation. So that's where I am with Yamamoto on this. I want to believe that he is more seasoned as far as just, yeah, I can, I have full command on all my pitches, and this is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I have him at 12. There is a big instinct that I had of putting Bobby Miller at, like, 10. I'm not even kidding. Um are- it's Does just because slider I, don't think, I think it's going to be the six-man rotation. By Miller slider? Yeah. No. Because we, I mean, we both have written and talked about like it should be better yeah. than it and is. And we normally do see second season slider command right. getting better. And he he tinkered mid-season like he he tried to throw a sweeper and then he kind of dialed back on that at the end. So like it, he's very clearly working on that slider, yeah. um, which makes me like optimistic about him getting another level but obviously it's one of those things where you do you perk up where see, and you see that like the performance maybe doesn't match what we should have gotten what right. can get him there etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah it's uh bobby miller i think has just like these little tweaks to make four seamers should be more upstairs he has he's made for that his sinker is really hard to hit because everyone's thing is the four seamer it changes just a little bit enough and mm-hmm. icr rates are really low and that's great curveball is fine uh, i mean i'm cool with that pitch and he had to use a little bit more than uh, I think he wanted to last season because the slider wasn't as dependable as right. he wants to be. And we also saw like he flashed plus with the changeup too, 
not consistent, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And I just think more time with this great situation in the Dodgers. I mean, Yamamoto and Miller are really that transition between the previous tier and this tier because they are some pretty safe to me, but also the fun tier. And I uh, that leads to Reagan's and Rodriguez, who are absolutely like the ridiculousness of fun. But right. also, I mean, they have a higher ceiling because they are going to go every five days. Mm-hmm. They actually have 180 inning potential this year. Uh, I don't see them getting shut down personally. So I I thought I was going to be lower on Reagan's. I thought I was going to be like, no, Nick, you can't do this. X, Y, and Z. I really, I, I initially did. And then I was just like, the other ones in this tier, I Reagan's is so dang good. I, I cannot express this enough. Uh, it, it's just, it's absolutely mind boggling the depth he has. Uh, and I was actually, I thought I was going to be lower on him after talking to him. Uh, some people think that when I talk to a pitcher, I get higher on them. Actually, a lot of the time I get lower on them because I don't expect them to like, I make sometimes like assumptions of what, mm-hmm. uh, of stuff. And I know it's very, it's a little arrogant, I guess of like, Oh cool. I want them to do the thing I want them to do, which is ridiculous. Sure. But there are also times where I hear guys say things or they're just like giving vague answers and it's like no you're this isn't it um kind of thing and reagan's was like so there if you watch that interview it's on youtube now like he's so hyper he has a notebook like pablo and twitch chat freaked out about that yeah uh not twitch i'm sorry playback chat freaked out when he has a notebook so i actually really believe that like reagan's is someone that didn't just hit like a peak and then that's not him at all like this is the guy this is who he is and i'm so excited for that I agree on that. My only two pushbacks on Reagan's are team context, which is yep. minimal. I mean, I think you know you deal with some wins. But no, like, that's I think that, I we've think already talked. Yeah. We've already talked about like you don't really want to punish guys too much for that because if you're a really good pitcher, teams need to win some games. They're going to so win more games this year too. It would be him. Um, I also think I I think if we're dinging some other guys for health, I think we need to ding him a little bit for health. And I understand yeah. that like the two surgeries were essentially one surgery right. because he had the botched Tommy John, which they did again. But I'm also just thinking, and listen, I guess that makes him sure. as injury prone as like, you know, Pablo, or maybe not, you don't want to say Tyler glass now, but like some of the other guys who were, who were ding- freed, right? Some of these other guys who were digging for injuries, my other concern is that including the minor leagues last year, he threw 105 innings. Mm. So what is the real possibility that he goes over 150? Because a jump question. from a jump from 105 to 160 or 170 is big. And if you are the Royals, and very clearly the Royals are thinking about their future because they just gave that massive deal to Bobby Witt. And so if you're looking at Reagan's and you're seeing a 26-year-old who could be your frontline ace for years, and you're getting to the second half of the year and you are not in contention, and I think many of us don't expect the Royals to be in playoff contention, do you say, hey, this guy has had major arm surgeries already. Maybe we shouldn't push him to 170 in a season where we're not competing and we want to make sure he's good to go for years. Two pushbacks Um, to that. One... Uh, bold prediction. I'm already, I've already locked in. Royals win the AL Central. I uh, Lugo and Waka are going to help out that rotation a bit. They can add something at the deadline. Not the most competitive division, uh, and I think their offense does get better. I uh, two. 
I mean, I don't know. That's a bold prediction. I understand your point completely. But I mean, be- better. Uh, I think it, they're not, better. Yeah, not out of the the question is the only point there. But really, the pushback I have, the true one, is that 105 is different than a normal 105 because it wasn't him as a starter. It was him in relief and actually regularly throwing with the Rangers before transitioning. Sure. And normally, when we see 105, we see that due to injury. We see that due to uh, either getting shut down, or everything like that. That wasn't Reagan's. Reagan's pitched. But Reagan was on regular uh, through the entire year. Even right. in the minor, it's like it was it wasn't a 105 of just you just didn't get the volume. If you combine that with being a reliever, that's more intense innings than the 105 would suggest in the first half. But so I think sure, going I get, to go I get, five games with him. Yes. I get the intent I get the intensity argument. That's a really good point. I guess my thought is still just in terms of the overall strain on yeah. your arm for a pitcher who has already had a major surgery and yeah, and I fully it. get your point on and listen we're we're picking nits to a certain extent I mean I have Reagan's 25th um I I'm and I could see myself moving him higher I'm I'm a yeah. fan um so it's more just a matter of like if we're saying there's some innings concerns of some of the other guys I have similar concerns for him like it wouldn't shock me if he came in at 150 this year and i think they're going to be 150 good innings and so as i've mentioned many times on this podcast i will take 150 good innings (laughs) over you know 180 if you're saying it's a a shutdown that's a little different than il of course which is a benefit to say glass now one last point i meant to add before is look at how the royals treated reagan's last year and i think that's an indication of how you're going to treat them this year because they were sending him out in games that he should not have been in still they were not babying him yeah, they were they were pushing him past 95 in situations where he should have been out of the game. Look at that Jays game and the Astros game and so on. And to me, that's just a showcase of like, yeah, no, they're just they're letting him fly. Uh, and I think that would carry over too. sure. I absolutely could be looking over, uh, you know, looking past that too far. He um, did throw. And I, and I will say, I mean, to that, to your point there, I am looking back now at uh, 2022. Because he hit three levels in 2022, um, and he did throw over 134, based on my rough math here, innings in 2022. So that would, A, be why they clearly were going to run him out there at the end of last year because he was not even at 100, so it it didn't matter. But also, if he was over 130 and then threw 105 in a split role, getting him to 160 feels... With well within the realm of possibility, yeah. I guess I would push back on like 180, but again, then you're just like really kind of split. Yes, yeah, well, to me, it's the question is, are they going to let him go every five days? Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's I don't see like they're going to interrupt that. To me, then it's like, cool, I expect six innings. So then, great, there's your 180, mm-hmm. you know. I, but who knows? The more interesting one to me is actually the one after, which is Grayson Rodriguez, because I've been actually kind of vocal about like my terror of that four seamer from Grayson. And you got right-handers were were crushing at like a 50% plus ICR. It did come down in a little bit in that second half when he did return. And I, I've i been back and forth a lot on that one. Um, I, honestly, with Glasnow, it's just the fact that he's never... Like last year was a career high in innings, 120. And I just can't. I just can't do it. And it was like, I I, kept, I had him at 12 before, right before then. Right before I switched it to 16, I even wrote in my blurb. I'm like, is he 12? Is he 16? I don't know. You made such a good point about innings in a 12-teamer getting replaced by someone is still really good and that's a good point and uh 
I don't know, man. If you want to take Glasnow at 12, go take Glasnow at 12, guys, okay? I'm just going to do it with Grayson at 15 because, you know what? I think the Orioles are going to win the World Series this year, and they're going to have Grayson Rodriguez going every five days. He's stretched out enough to do it, and his stuff can be so much better than it was last year. The changeup and slider are both good and developing, and he's getting better. And as long as he keeps that extension, which is elite on that fastball, he has good enough BAA. Sure, he doesn't get a lot of IVB, but I feel like it's all good enough with that velocity in the fastball. He shouldn't have that high of an ICR. Mm-hmm. And especially when the secondaries get more involved, such a good situation in Baltimore. And it's just so much more fun. So I'm going with Grayson at 15. I, I thought I was going to have Kyle Bradish ahead of him. Nah, I was like, nah, it's just too good. Grayson Vegas. Let's go. It is. It is more fun. We'll give you yeah. that. It's more fun. Thank you. Um, <laughs> just for, for on glass now. Yeah. So go ahead. here's the thing that I, that I, I found the video. I think, um, I think it was Mike Curlin that first tweeted this video out, um, which kind of brought it to my attention. Glass now doing an interview um, about his injuries, where he basically explained that in 2019, 2020, and 2021, it was the same exact injury. That he had a UCL injury that right. popped up in 2019, but the MRI came back clean. So he kept pitching. That in 2020, he had a UCL injury and the MRI came back clean. So he kept pitching. And then after 2021, um, he the MRI still came back clean, but they decided to just do like a cleanup procedure. And what they found was that his UCL was fully intact, but it was off the bone. So that's why the MRI was coming back clean because yeah. the, UCL, the UCL itself was fully intact, but obviously right. it was an injury. Right. So I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, I'm not saying, oh, Glass now, now he's healthy. He's going to be 180 innings. But I do think it, it puts it into perspective a little bit, this idea that he's like an injury-prone pitcher because for three years, if it's the same injury that was ne- or or a similar injury that was never addressed, it wasn't like he injured, he got injured, he fixed it, and he got injured again, and he fixed it, and he got injured again. It was it was never actually fixed, and it was never actually addressed until after um, the 2021 season. Now, we understand there were other injuries. I'm not saying like, and then in 2022 and 2023, he pitched you know 160 innings, and he was perfect. But I, I just I think it's an important distinction to make when thinking about his injury track record. Sure. Is that for three years it was essentially the same injury that was never properly handled. Right. Which is a little bit like the Cole Reagans thing where you're like, yes, it's two surgeries, but it's really one surgery because the first surgery wasn't done well. That's fine. For me, it's just like cool, Tyler Glasnow, he needed to get Tommy John. The thing was off the bone. Everything was bad. His elbow, great. And then he has an oblique injury and then he has cramping that takes him out. And then he also has a back injury. And I think it was a discussion with, I think it was with Lyman. Um, maybe it was with, you know, but I, I believe that guys that are built like Tyler Glasnow are just more prone to being hurt. Um, I mean, when you see these like giant lanky guys, uh, these big frames, it's just, it's harder to stay healthy for a full year. Um, in many ways. And like to see that it's such a variety to me, that is the elbow, sure, fine elbow, whatever. But then there's also the bleak, there's also the back in there. It's, it's not the first time I believe with the back too. Um, it, it just, it's like, okay, there's, there's more to it than this to me. And I, I, I'm not saying that he won't go over 120, 
but we have to at least acknowledge that like of everyone inside this top 16 he has the highest likelihood of having the the least amount of innings yes right and that to me is just okay i i'm just i don't know as a fantasy manager it's just not fun for me <laughs> like i just that's that's me if you want to put that at 12 i understand all the reasons for it i mean look I'm not saying it was a right or wrong decision. We had this conversation last year about Jacob deGrom, right? Just because of the singular outcome that we got doesn't mean that it was right to pass on him. Right. That was just one outcome, sure. But it was the same conversation. Like, how much willing are we to put uh, put ourselves in risk for Jacob deGrom? It didn't work out there. It doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad probability uh, to chase. So it's hard to tell. It's just one that is more lopsided in its unevenness to me and i'm just mm-hmm. not going to go for that i get it i get it um i i am vacillating him to just inside my top 10 to just outside my top 10 um and i go back and forth <laughs> never 10 i <laughs> never 10 um but it, it is like it it goes to like this tier conversation that you and i had where it's like i could easily see him in this tier of like Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, like guys who have ace upside but have question marks of like what how much they can get to that. Yeah. Um, but I could also like see him, but then it's like I don't I just don't know that I see him like outside of my top fifteen. I don't I don't know. So I'm I'll go yeah. back and forth. Uh, but this isn't about me. But I do no. think it's an interesting conversation about glass now. <laughs> it is uh, about you, Eric. And just the idea of your your risk tolerance. Um, yeah. And, and what you're ready to take for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our final tier of this podcast coming up after this break. Our final tier of the top 20 um, starts with pitcher number 17, Kyle Bradish. Number 18, Zach Eflin. Number 19, Joe Musgrove. Jumping Joe Musgrove. And number 20, Framber Valdez. What city is this tier and why? Uh, I'm such a city boy. Like, uh, uh, give me something that's nice and safe, nice and easy. I'm going to go to Asheville. Oh, Asheville. You know what? Asheville, underrated city. I mean, in some ways it's getting overrated because I hear about it every moment now. But it's wonderful. I was just there in June. Got to hang out with Josh Mockinson and and Jason Collette. It was a great time. Uh, Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. And I... yeah, that, that's Asheville. That's just nice. And this is like how I group these tiers, right? You have all the fun things and then you have the safer ones, mm-hmm. you know, and it, this extends into the next uh, podcast in the next uh, you know, past 20. But um, yeah, Eflin and Bradish and Musgrove and Valadez, not in that order. <laughs> uh, the, these guys to me are just like, all right, you know, the floor is higher as far as production. Like it's not the risk of Grayson Rodriguez, right? Right. Um, sure, there is some injury concern with Joe Musgrove and Eflin. I think more so than the other two. Um, but I feel very, I feel good about them. Also, the injury risk of Joe Musgrove talking to Stephen Lyman. Very much feeling like weird issues. And as long as you know everything was fine, it shouldn't be lingering mm-hmm. for Joe. So and like dropping a weight on his toe, cool, great. Um, and then I felt like the elbow and um, bursitis and the the shoulder stuff was just more of a of him trying to get back up to speed faster. Um, than he should have been. And Eflin, Eflin, I actually almost had him at 12 um, as like, cool, I expect him to go every five days or so. But then I was like, no, no, Nick, you can't do this. I remember what my main thoughts have been all off season, which is 
that Eflin is, uh, Eflin, he had a peak season. And I know that the Rays really helped and the cutter is just such a difference maker for him. And really him having five pitches allows his forcing, which all of a sudden be this good pitch upstairs at two strikes where it shouldn't in any way be good. And it is great because he just uses it so sparingly upstairs um, as a strikeout pitch. But it does feel like he just got everything he could out of his arsenal and had that amazing season. Not to say that he won't have another good one. It's just it won't be that good with Eflin again. So I couldn't put him up that high. He just does not have SP1 uh, potential in the same way as the other guys do uh, for another year to me. So I put him at 18. I buy that. Um, so I I put him at 14, Eflin, because yeah. to me, there was like some Logan Webb in that, in the sense that like I understand the, I understand the innings are likely mm-hmm. not the same right f1 yeah. does have an in, an injury track record even if it hasn't been recent a lot of like knee issues which i guess slightly better than arm but you know sure. whatever yeah um and as i'm saying this out loud i'm thinking like maybe i do need to be more cautious given the, the injury concerns but what i mean is like there's a safety i think in what f1 does um of being like a a solid you know mid three zra pitcher on a good team with I think more strikeout upside than Webb, given the recent changes. Um, yeah, it, it's weird because you're, I agree with you, and I don't at the same time. <laughs> fair, I, like it to like, me. It was there are three major changes for Eflin, right? I mean, you already mentioned the cutter. He added a sweeper, and mm-hmm. he threw his curveball more, which is what everybody wanted him to do when he was right. In, yeah, well, what, he, it was just a better pitch. It was more consistent right. because he so, wanted like, to do it before. He just never had it. So like check, check, check on three things that the Rays changed that all worked yeah. out. Um, some of which we identified when he was in Philadelphia and others that we didn't. Um, I do think that the the decrease in walks and the better whip is, even if it doesn't sustain to the extent that it was before, I, I think it's also just when you optimize an arsenal and a pitcher can command that arsenal, and the pitchers when the pitches work well together, I do think that sometimes that decreases walks and that decreases hits because things are working together better. Um, and then you also have that, like his his BABIP was still two ninety five, which is basically his career norm, right? Like it was it was a higher BABIP than it was in in twenty twenty two. So it wasn't like he got so lucky with hits. That wasn't like the the that wasn't really the reason behind yeah. his success. So I think what we saw was very repeatable. Maybe not 16 wins, which I know impacts fantasy value, um, but I don't see think there's any reason why he's not getting 12, 13, 14 wins on what should still be a good Rays team. Does it bother you as much as it does me how much like the player Raider at the end of the year is impacted by like he had 14 wins and he had 12 wins? Yes. Well, that's why I hate that's like when Adam asked me to go on the podcast with him and talk about either ratios or wins and strikeouts. I was like, absolutely. Let somebody else talk about wins. Like, I just don't (laughs) don't want to do it. Like, like, because there's such a difference between a guy with 12 wins and a guy with 15 wins. And I could not tell you why somebody will win 12 games and somebody will win 15. Like, there's so many factors that go into that, that it's just wild to me. I I feel like as a fantasy community, we should be moving towards innings pitched instead of wins or quality starts. I could see that. 
it's, yeah, it's I what I, I I remember actually sitting down with my friends and trying to design our best like ideal fantasy league like for our hometown league and everything and like what would it be and I found myself like creating Adenu. <laughs> <laughs> I was like Niv you beat me to it I uh, and yeah I mean it's it's so frustrating about that but it is a factor of it and yep the Rays are going to give Zach Eflin wins and it's absolutely a big part of it. Um, but uh, his ICR rate did go up a lot overall from 2022. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a 28% in 2022 and then 36% last year. And that 28% is <clears throat> was never going to be repeated. Uh, and the fact that he had fewer, fewer hits allowed, uh, I think speaks to how bad the Phillies defense was in 2022. <laughs> sure. It's kind of an interesting point. I wish I could have caught that last year. We might have been able to say, like, at the very least, like, well, the defense actually had a big impact on, on Eflin at the very least. And of course, like the, um, I mean, he went from a plus seven hit luck to a minus 19, believe it or not, which is crazy. And you look at the BABIP going up for, for Eflin, right? But that is, oh man. Oh man. That's absolutely bonkers. Um, anyway, I, Eflin, yeah, great points about him. I, He's fine. You're going to be happy with Eflin. Like it was still a three five ERA at the end of the day. Is the weird part to me. And it's it wasn't like he had a three. Right. I feel like it should be a little bit better if we're talking about hit luck there. There you go. But um, and it's not going to be a one hundred two whip. He did have a like a three point five percent walk rate. I never do the points, but I feel like that was an important one to do. I never do the decimal, and that's crazy. But he's done that for ages, which means he should have that elevated hit per nine a little bit because that means he's throwing so many strikes. So it does make him a little more susceptible in my view of that E-rate going up because of that. That's like mm-hmm. the trade-off. You you fewer walks, you're generally going to allow more hits, which generally then means more uh, earned runs. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's just safe. Be happy with Eflin, guys. He's not going to have a 27% K-rate again, but like, just be happy. And meanwhile, Webb might have his slider back, so who knows who's going to have the higher K-rate. You're going to take right. Webb or Eflin? Who are you taking? I have Webb higher. No, no, so, no, 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 no. Strikeout oh. rate. Oh, strikeout rate? I'll take Eflin. Yeah. This part of I think I, to be different and put it on the board, Adam. I'm going to say Logan Webb is a higher strikeout rate. You're going to be right, but I'm just going to do it. Put it on the board. First yeah. one. Why not? Oh, love it. Yeah. And we you have, have Glasnow above Bobby Miller, right? Drop. I do have Glasnow above Bobby Miller. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, I'm going to get more wins, so I'm going to win on the player rater. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. Uh, the glass, what the about glass the one too? Is, the Glasnow <laughs> one is like the big... It is the it is my as I continue to toggle these. Um, the my rankings took uh, a, like a have taken a week to put out since we did the show because I, as we talked about, I'm like trying to do short blurbs on everybody, and it does it is really helping me with the rankings, but it does take a while. Oh gosh, um, so and so I'm like I'm like at seventy right now, and I just gotta yeah. blurb thirty more I, guys, and we're done. I actually don't know the exact word count yet. Um, I did. So, guys, if you don't know, for the top 350, if you're listening to this and you've already seen it, awesome. We are we're doing something across all of our rankings, which I think is really helpful for everyone. This year, we are doing math. I made all the um, I made Scott Chu and Rick Graham do this as well. We're having a one massive list for each of the positions, right? So starting pitchers and then hitters and then relievers. And then we are dicing them all up into multiple different groups for you to get quick access to things. So, like, for example, I'm going to have my sleeper pitchers. That is really just going to be the blurbs I've already written, but in a grouping. So you can just see like these are the ones and quickly access them. Access them. 
Uh, so it's it's gonna be really helpful to do all of it. And I'm starting to we're starting to piece them together. So for example, we're gonna have the massive top 350, all the blurbs in one place, and like the strategy section at the top. And I don't know how long that one is yet, but I do know how long the one through 20 without anything but the blurbs, no tier descriptions, no nothing. And that is 8,300 words. That's, <laughs> That's just wild. 20 of them. <laughs> so don't don't load the site with like a 56K internet uh, access. Okay, guys, I'm sorry for you. Um, I, I did want to talk about Bradish too before we're, oh, yeah, of course. we're done too. Oh, we've got it. We've got um, it. I'm, because I... I put out an article today, which um, I hope everybody checks out, which you can see on my Twitter uh, again, which is at Samsky NYC or over at uh, Roto World, which was on pitchers who made second half changes um, and like things to look for uh, in whether they carry over into 2024. And I looked at pitchers who made like clear changes in the second half. Like I not, I hat tipped here conversation with Jamison Tyon, where it was like, Things clicked for him in the second half, but the changes yeah. really were like earlier on in the year. Same thing, like Cole Reagans like didn't make changes in the second half. He just really only pitched in the in the second half. But like Kyle Bradish, I think he was really good all year, but I don't know that I had realized as much until I was looking at it about how he like really increased the sinker usage and got rid of the four seam even more as the year went on, which is great because that four seam is not good. Um, yeah. And so I, like I, I worry about him a little bit against lefties because against lefties, he has yeah. to throw the four seam a lot. He has to throw it inside though. It right. has cut action. Do the, mo- oh, I want, I'm trying as hard as I can again in contact. <laughs> just so like, I just want to hear why you won't. And I probably am missing something, you know, because your your four seamer is the nullifier to lefties. It can be if you can just get it inside. Mm-hmm. It's like Wade Miley going into righties. He's made a career out of this. Like you could do that to lefties with that four seamer. But I I think what I'm saying is like I was I was out. I had him outside of my top twenty. Hmm. Um. Just because I was like, okay, like I think you know he was a proper, uh, you know, a very common breakout candidate, but I don't think anybody expected him to break out like that. And then, so he should regress. And then you're like, yeah, but he also showed a level and then showed a better level because of changes that he made. So like, if he regresses, maybe he regresses to just like who he was in the first half of the year, which was still like a. Three 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 four ERA pitcher oh, yeah. with decent strikeout rates, but um, you know had a little bit of more issues with hard contact. And it's like maybe it's that, but like uh, I don't know that like some of these projections have him back for like an ERA close to four, which feels really aggressive no. to me. No, I can't see that. I um I, I think as you guys know, I don't really focus a ton on ERA and WHIP. I know that sounds wild. And like this, that's what the whole game is, Nick. What are you talking about? I'm very much about just what their repertoire is, and generally, is that effective? Is it getting better or worse? And kind of setting these like foundations of what I think last year represented, and is that improving or not? And the way I see Kyle Bradish, I just think his arsenal will improve and his approach will improve. Now, I think you're right that like, yeah, he got lucky. Like, you should not have had a two eight three ERA and a one zero four WHIP. Like, I just don't think that that's really. If he has the same skill set, yes, he should regress. Um, 
I think the slider is one of the best pitches in baseball. It truly is just, it's like the old Corey Kluber breaker. And he also gets it, like he throws it, I think, more than Corey Kluber used to. Um, 31% usage last year, 62% strikes, but just just so vicious, too plain. Um, It's so good. It's like a sweeper that also has like an insane drop. Like, how do you do that? You're not supposed to do that. Um, his curveball is also a very effective pitch. I mean, we've mm-hmm. you've talked about this, you've highlighted this. I think you were even saying that he threw it more. Um, and uh, that's great. Those are those should be his two main focuses all the time. As as I mentioned, the four seamer, he did have a decent called strike rate in the second half. He was able to sneak it in better. But the reason I don't like it is it has cut action, and he tries to throw it upstairs and try and do like the cannibal McSanchez of getting called strikes upstairs with it. And sometimes it works, but it's very dangerous. And it was something that made me not excited about him early on. I remember actually this time last year, I was the one who was very out on Kyle Bradish, obviously wrong, but I was out because he didn't embrace that slider as much at the time. He didn't have his curveball as good. And the four seamer, everyone was saying, oh no, he's throwing harder with it, which he did, but that was the problem. And to see, I mean, at the end of the year at a 46% ICR, um, but I didn't anticipate that Bradish would make the adjustments that he did. Um, and that was pretty cool. So, I, uh, I I think that the overall approach that Bradish has available is that sinker cool inside of righties. Great. There you go. You don't need to use that four seamer against righties. And of course, you have this devastating slider that is just going to destroy them again. And then against lefties, you have that slider for called strikes in the zone back door. And you also have it down back foot. Mm-hmm. You have a curveball as well that you can throw in there. You have um, a four seamer that has cut action that is really good inside up and in to lefties. And that should be enough. So that makes a whole lot of sense to me. I also think you can mo- throw more than 17% overall curves in there. Uh, I, d- I just think that the 43% fastball usage that we saw last year from Bradish is probably going to come down to like 35%. Yeah, I agree. And something like that. And that's going to be a benefit. The changeup that he's trying to make work, eh, sometimes <laughs> it works. <laughs> right. But I, I don't really, I'm not really hanging my hat on that. It's that curveball usage goes up, slider still everything. And then utilizing the four seamer the right way against lefties, utilizing the sinker the right way against righties. I think there is a real legitimate approach there that suggests, hey, good whip with a 25% plus K rate here. Yeah. In a very good it's, situation. It's funny because hearing you say that, like I came in with, uh, well, here's my concern against lefties, right? It's the yeah. four seam. And so, but the other side of the coin, as you just pointed out, is okay, concern, yeah. But there's also a path that that gets better because yeah. if he changes the location of the four seam, then it becomes less of a liability against lefties. So you then take a, okay, here's my concern. Here's the the weakness. But if we actually iron out that weakness, then there's maybe even another level. And yeah. we're not saying he's going to be a 2-6 ERA pitcher that's like another level from you know what he did the second half. But the idea is like the weakness could also be addressed and then it it you're still seeing another level of growth which almost kind of balance out balances out that weakness and so that's where i guess i'm i'm even talking myself into this idea of like you know nola bradish musgrove efflin to me are guys who feel like the floor is pretty high um and there is a there is a level that you can see them push to be like Maybe a fringe SP one, probably not an actual SP one, but a fringe guy. Well, but I mean, there's they, but they might not implode the way, well, right? 
somebody who people who are going to be on the next episode who we say this guy's stuff is elite, but the floor is also like a four yeah. five ERA pitcher. And there's something to be said about Bradish. Um, I mean, like it's it made me really hard for me to say, cool, where's that middle group of the fun stuff? Because I mean, you could say that Bradish could even be up at 12 if you don't even believe Nola, right? Mm-hmm. For these very reasons. I also do want to say like, I'm wish casting that Bradish will fix that four seamer. You know, it's something uh, I try and think about a lot is I, I make those cases. The famous one for me, I don't think a lot of people remember, which is good, is uh, after Michaelis in like when he first showed up, um, I thought his, he was going to get better because the slider usage should increase and like that's a really good pitch and it would get more whiffs and everything. That's like a big thing for him. And I recognize that he should regress from the previous year, but he had this path, I thought, to being better than from a skill standpoint and he didn't do it. Yeah. And uh, he was just worse. <laughs> and it's one of those elements of like, oh, right. Yeah, there's no guarantee that actually those paths happen. Um, I think that was ultimately why I put Grayson above Bradish because it's more obvious the path that he wants to go on and improve on. Right. With Bradish, I'm trying to like gain contact with him to like see like, hey, maybe I just want to have a conversation with you. I don't know if this is like the smartest path or something like that. I just want to talk about it with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we'll end with a pitcher who like I I guess I don't see the path necessarily to a better result for Framber Valdez. Yeah. Um, and again, a three four five ERA with, you know, uh what was his I see his K per nine with a twenty five percent strikeout rate and a one one three whip is not bad. Like no, you're not like, oh, why is this on my team? Um but I, I kind of feel like that might be him. Um, you know, we talked about like being a sinker ball yep. pitcher who gives up a lot of hard contact on a sinker ball and then changing his cutter, which was worse. Weird. I mean, more yeah, strikeouts, but gave up a lot of hard contact. I just, I'm like, he also, it was his best swing and miss pitch, but he doesn't throw it to righties. So he doesn't throw it to the majority of hitters that he'll face. So I, I don't know, man. I, I kind of feel like, I've got a really good curve and then I've got a lot of other stuff that is a shoulder shrug that I don't know if it's going to work. And to me, that is, I have some concerns. Yeah. It's, it's so hard because on one hand, I, I I'm with you on this of like the sinker is too hard to hit. I even wrote this thing. Like he will go through the highs and lows and likely hover a one, one five whip to one twenty or something like that. You know, it's very possible. He does that. He has ground ball tendencies, he doesn't have a reliable secondary pitch to carry him for a 65% strike rate. But then again, it could. The curveball can come back maybe a little bit. Yeah. The cutter that we saw was good for times. And at the end of the day, it's I, I, I find myself gravitating towards safety. And man, is there anyone really like at this point safer than Framber Valdez who of the last three years, uh, last four years, 112 would find 125, but 116, 113. Like he's done this. He gets a lot of wins being on the Astros 12 last year, I think is depressing his value. He should have more than 12 wins for 198 innings and 31 games on the Astros. He should have more than that. I I, I just, and he had 25% of the K rate last year. I think that cutter actually will be more of a thing because it is that good. And it was weird last year, but hey, hi, Astros, what's up? Uh, they're going to do that. So, Overall, I just sat there and thought, yeah, like Valdez is safer than I uh, were. We have one more guy in the next tier, I think. Actually, eh, 
Uh, Actually, the next three are part of this tier, I think. I don't know. I, I don't know I'm, where that tier shift is yet. I have to decide. It's probably I'm one ex- more guy in this tier and then two or not. I'm excited for the next podcast because yeah, <laughs> I, I have not seen I have not seen Nick's uh, 21 through 40. Um, oh, I see. But, right. Yeah, but there team. are there are a couple pitchers that come to my head where I'm thinking this guy is Framber Valdez or they're just so close that I would rank Framber close to this guy. And I'm curious. Yeah where Nick has them, which I guess we'll see on the next podcast episode. Yes. Um, so hopefully you guys all stick around for that one. As we continue to go through uh, Nick's top 100, we're not going to do, oh, we're, we're going to go beyond. I mean, we're going to get to as many of these guys. Oh, we're we going to get to like, I'm going to do a speed run. I mean, I did 100 pitchers in 50 minutes for PitchCon, okay? By the way, before you completely seal the deal, people are going to be like, what the heck? You have Joe Musgrove super high at 19. Oh, true. Like I need, I need to say just very quickly. I get it. I think the reason why you see ADPs that are low on Joe Musgrove is because everyone's terrified about the injury. I think we talked about it, saying like, look, I think it's because he's, uh, he's actually healthy. If he's gone through all the stuff, he's fine and should be. He's gonna be good for opening day and all of that. Mm-hmm. And Joe Musgrove is just super consistent with everything. Yes. Um, it's pretty remarkable to me just how consistently good he is. And uh, his worst ERA in his last three years was a three eighteen. Um, that includes two straight 180 seasons in 21 and 22. Yeah. It was the weirdness of 2023's injuries that are pushing him down. Yeah, he still had 10 wins uh, in 305 ERA and a 114 whip and a 24% K rate. Like Joe Musgrove, to me, you are never going to regret having Musgrove on your team. I don't think he's a, huh. now an injury prone guy forever or something like that. Uh, yeah, no, Joe Musgrove's good. He, so he's yeah. inside my top my top 20. Also, I was also intrigued that like. In this injury shortened 2023, he actually was starting to throw his changeup more, and it was getting mm. decent results. And so I'm just curious what another off season um, yeah. does for that and that plan. Because if you add a better and more used changeup to the slider, the cutter that reduce you know that induces soft uh, ground balls, a curve that he throws to pitchers with you know hitters with both handedness, it's just a deep. Arsenal yeah. that and that gives slider him a got better. He lost yeah. in the beginning. He didn't have it, and then he got it by the end of the year. Like it's all yeah. good. No, I, I fully buy in on on Musgrove as well. I'm exci- nice. I'm thankful that you uh, you made us talk about him very briefly. Gotta, gotta make sure he gets overlooked. I think he's actually yeah. surprisingly a sleeper, which is I, and, I don't use that lightly, but like he's undervalued so far from what I've seen. And it's just nice to end the episode saying nice things. That's <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so we're, we're going to dive in and keep going. Um, so check this out again for another uh, episode of Pitchers. I am Eric Smolsky, the Pelican. I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And I'm going to send Nick some house listings in different cities and just see if we can uh, pique his interest anywhere.